Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This podcast is sponsored by Dollar Shave Club, the smarter choice. You'll get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. Visit dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. So the White House has released its budget and the phrase dead on arrivals being used. But Michael Warren says there are some valuable things we can learn about the Trump administration and the direction of the GOP from this dead document. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, but it's always dead on arrival. I mean, this is uh, a fact of the presidential budget. There is a law on the books, federal law, that the White House has to produce a budget every year. Um, And so that's kind of why they do it. And that's the only reason, real reason they do it. Uh, But sort of more broadly and and, and maybe a little more vaguely, uh, the budget is uh, tends to be a vehicle by which a, a an administration can say, this is what we value, this is what we want to prioritize, and can tell Congress, particularly a Congress that is uh, shared by the same party, sure. uh, hey, this is really what we're interested in, in signing if you guys want to get on this. Now, it's always the case, and, and Congress loves to, to do this, particularly the chairs of the budget and ways and means and appropriations committees say, yeah, that's that's nice, Mr. President. Uh, we'll get to the task, the constitutionally mandated task uh, of Congress to write the budget, and, 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 and uh, we'll let you decide if you want to sign yeah, it. Yeah, so my reaction to every budget story from the White House about their budget is, yeah, so, because, I mean, they don't, they, I mean, if I understand this correctly, they just don't matter nearly as much as the budget chairman does in the House. That's right. In particular in the House, because the House is where budget bills have to and originate. Everything originates, Thank right. Thank you, God, for the Constitution and all that stuff. <laughs> so I'm not crazy about that. In other words, when, Cl- when Clinton was at 60% approval, his budget was just as meaningless as Trump's. Yes, but again, it, it is a signal, uh, a, a way to signal, hey, this is what we want to get done, and this is how we might even figure out a way to pay for it. And it, really, it's a, it's a, it can be a campaign tool for campaigning for the policies that a president Got wants it. to pass. So what? Policies does President Trump want to pass? Uh, so I guess uh, where to start? First of all, there's uh, Obamacare repeal. That's a big part of all the cuts that the administration is touting. Uh, is uh, sort of uh, predicated on the idea that Obamacare will be repealed and replaced by this uh, American Health Care Act. Uh, well, so, well, let me interrupt you right there sure. because watching cable news, they make it sound like that this budget's going in after $800 million of you know Medicaid money just out of nowhere. You're saying, no, that's actually the AHCA part. Correct. For okay. the most part. And I, I don't know the weeds on this because sure. I don't want uh, to end up killing myself over reading the, <laughs> the actual budget. That is meaningless, as, we, as we've discussed. But yes, most of it comes right. from that. Um, there are some significant uh, cuts uh, well, let me get to that in a little bit. Okay. There, there's uh, in, actually increases in spending, increases in defense spending, uh, not as much as uh, some Republican hawks would like, but something that uh, the president promised. Uh, there is supposedly some money for a border wall. How much is actually there is, is kind of uh, touch and go. Uh, big infrastructure, trillions, a couple trillion dollars for infrastructure spending. Uh, and interestingly enough, a paid family leave uh, item, which is, in the grand scheme of things, not very big, but an interesting sort of 
move, uh, a change right. for the Republican Party, if this is something that Republicans in Congress embrace. Uh, it's certainly something the Trump administration is, is floating out there. You see a lot of Republican arms reaching out to embrace a new federal entitlement? Uh, I don't see a lot of Republicans' arms reaching out to embrace much of what comes from the White House at this point, so no, but uh, but you never know. I mean, if, and particularly if, if the president were in a better political position, if all this sort of other scandal stuff wasn't right. going on, you might see not just Republicans, but even some Democrats saying, Hey, let's let's jump on board. So, in an in a traditional political environment where you had kind of a republic a non traditional Republican like Trump, you could see a situation where it might be, hey, we know you really don't want to go with us on this tax deal, but we've got this other <clears throat> entitlement. So, some Democrats from some places like Ohio, New Jersey, you come on over. Right. We'll do that. Good old fashioned politicking. Yeah. But that can't happen. Because we don't have good old-fashioned politics, and we have brand new Trump. <laughs> That's right. And, and also, I should say, there's a lot of incoherence in this budget, and it's the this is the, the cuts that I wanted to mention earlier that I'll mention now, which is you have that sort of soft Republican, kind of uh, almost uh, Christian Democratic stuff you might see in Europe in the paid family leave proposal, and then you have these what you know, mainstream media folks and, and liberals, and uh, I might even admit a little bit draconian cuts uh, to some more traditional welfare programs, things like food stamps, mm-hmm. uh, Social Security disability insurance, um, that really, uh, uh, you know, might be embraced by the sort of old school conservative, fiscal conservative parts of the party uh, that doesn't really mesh well as a sort of cohesive political pro- uh, project with that paid family leave. And speaking of old school, if you are still schlepping to the store to buy a cheap disposable razor that gives you a cheap shave, or if you're spending a fortune on razors with gimmicking shaving tech you don't need, you should join me and Michael Warren and become a member of Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club has a fantastic deal for listeners to The Daily Standard right now. Get your first month for just 5 bucks with free shipping. So here's how it works. In the past... I would go to the grocery store, get the cartridges to the fancy schmancy razor my wife made me buy, and I would then take out a small consumer credit loan to pay for them because apparently they are made out of processed uranium or something. And then I would go home and I would shave. Now, the box arrives. I open it up. Inside, on the first month, you get your executive razor, a tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter, and your cartridges. And my fancy schmancy razor is still there in my little razor rack. But right next to it is the razor I use every day, my Dollar Shave Club razor, because it works better. And it doesn't cost a fortune. So if you like great stuff and you're a cheapskate like me, join Dollar Shave Club today. For a limited time, like I said, you get your first month. That's with the executive razor, the tube of the Dr. Carver's shave butter. Only five bucks with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. Replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. There are no hidden fees, no commitments. You can cancel anytime you like. But you won't cancel because you're going to like your Dollar Shave Club. Just go to dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard to get this great deal. dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. Now, about those old school conservatives, one of those people has spoken out about the budget. Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform, says it's a very strong budget and, quote, this is a Reaganite limited government anti-waste and anti-duplication budget. It certainly makes those Republican critics who said that Trump would be a big spending populist look like idiots. Well, well, I... I Not that he's talking about you and the (laughs) Weekly Standard crowd, but well... What are you saying, Grover? Uh, No. Uh, Look, I mean, this is... uh, I mentioned those cuts. 
and I mentioned, uh, maybe I didn't mention this, but the OMB director, Mick Mulvaney, is touting this as a budget that will balance in 10 years. That's part of what Grover is talking about, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, my my cursory view of this and, and, and much, much smarter people who understand budgets uh, uh, have said is, is that the growth uh, projections that the administration is relying on to get that balance, to make these cuts... Uh, very optimistic. Three mm-hmm. percent growth is really what they're what they're looking right. for here, um, and 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 that's something that the administration can't guarantee, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the long term, I think, and this is something that I think is more important than all of the discussion that we've been talking about. In the long term, that growth doesn't re- that a level of growth doesn't really make much of a difference when it comes to the bigger drivers of the uh, of, uh, what's sort of crowding out other spending in the budget and, as well, the national debt, which is the two major entitlement programs, Social Security and Medicare. So in the huge sections of this budget dedicated to reforming and fixing <laughs> Medicaid and Medicare, uh, excuse me, Social Security and Medicare, uh, what parts are most likely to work? Yeah, um, Michael, you may not be aware of this, but the budget doesn't do anything. Wait a minute. I, it's, it's a shock. That can't I know. be right. <laughs> so what does uh, Office of Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney say when you ask him about it? Yeah, so, so I asked him about this on Monday. There was an off-camera briefing at the White House, uh, and it wasn't to be it, it wasn't unexpected right the president talked about during the on the campaign trail he wasn't going to touch social security he wasn't going to touch medicare but mulvaney is a former uh, freedom caucus guy from the house of representatives guy who voted for the paul ryan budget that that made these reforms so i asked well, why why aren't these reforms right. in there no he's kind of knowing what the answer was and mulvaney said that he actually went into the oval office or somewhere with the president uh, gave him a list he said here's all the sort of mandatory spending and there's a little bit of mishmash of what mandatory spending is and entitlements. They're not quite the same thing. They kind of squares and rectangles sort of thing. But said, here's a list of all the mandatory spending, uh, including a list of um, reforms that need to be done really for Social Security and Medicare. Uh, and he said Trump went down the list and said, yes, that's good. Yes, that's good. No, that's no, no, no. He said all the no's were for Medicare reform and Social Security reform. And Mulvaney said, look, I even tried to tried to make the case for it. He said, you got to balance this budget without cutting those. So that, that's what I did. That's So that's what he says. So basically we have a, a, a sort of a principle here from Donald Trump, which right. is these programs will not be touched. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you get to that point where you say you can't touch these giant parts of the budget, right. 40% of the budget and growing um, – then you have to. Mm-hmm. Then you really do have to start cutting things like welfare programs that are politically, uh, you know, can be problematic. Do you agree with me that once again, if we had a more traditional political lay of the land, and you had say a successful health care reform where right. a lot of middle class people saw their uh, their premiums go down, level off the huge jumps we've seen the last few years go away, and then you see a tax reform and you see growth because the Wall Street Journal doesn't agree with the notion that this 3% growth target is crazy. One thing they point out is that this budget doesn't even call for 3% growth until towards the back. It right. actually assumes 2.7, 2.8, 2.9. And so it's not, you know, it's not like you're saying seven, it's not Chinese level sure. growth. So if you did get some of that style of growth, that then after some successes, a guy who has clearly said again and again, I'm here to protect Social Security and, and Medicare would have the political you know, goodwill started to look at the American people and say, we're going to have to make some changes. We're going to be careful. No one under over 50 is going to, you know, all the standard consoles sure. that you could do that in that environment. 
Well, well, yeah, and I and I guess you know Martians could start colonizing, <laughs> you know, South America. I mean, like we could just make up any number of sure. fantastical situations. But your the point that you raise is is right. I think in a in a sort of more normal Republican right. a, administration, we might see that because who's the Speaker of the House? It's Paul Ryan, exactly. the guy who developed this mm-hmm. and really I think made a a very remarkable and notable and one that uh, uh, moved to get the Republican Congress along. It's something that touching entitlements, which these are really middle-class entitlements, things that middle-class workers have paid into their whole lives and rightly feel like they deserve it. But it's a system that that can't be sustained. It's a very dangerous political move to do this. And Paul Ryan convinced the Republican Congress, Republican members of the House, I should say, to do it. And by the way, since they've done that, they have not lost the House of Representatives. So I talked to somebody at the Cato Institute who said, Michael Tanner, who's a very smart guy, he says, I don't know of a single House race where a Republican has lost since then because of this issue. And uh, and so that was remarkable. But but we're not living uh, under normal political circumstances, as you know. And so this is likely not to happen. The opportunity cost of the Trump-style presidency, and the Trump supporters will argue he was the only Republican who could win in a climate like this of the ones that are running, and they may very well be right. Sure. But he's also one of the few Republicans who can't guide towards this outcome that we could all use. Hey, before I let you go, I want to ask you one last thing. You're going to be one of the stellar— uh, folks at the big yes. uh, weekly standard summit coming up in a couple of weeks at the Broadmoor in Colorado. Have you ever been to the Broadmoor? I've never been, but I've heard it's lovely. Oh, crazy gorgeous. Colorado Springs, foot of the mountains. It is phenomenal. Um, and it's always a lot of fun because we have, uh, you know, you and Bill Crystal, Fred Barnes, that kind of crowd. <clears throat> but this year we have Ben Sass coming. He's a ton of fun. Right. Mike Lee coming from Utah. Dick Cheney's daughter, Liz, is going to be there. Some people call her Congress. I call her Dick Cheney's daughter. And so, what's and Charles Krauthammer. And, and Charles Krauthammer. And what you're going to experience is when people come to this event, it's not just they get to see you talk or whatever, but it's, there's a lot of milling around. There's a lot of hanging out. There's right. a lot of like receptions and meals. And so if you've, if you've been wanting to share your plan to balance the budget with Charles Krauthammer, if you've been wanting to explain to Michael Warren that he absolutely does not understand <laughs> politics in the United States in 2017 – they're going to have you, man. Exactly. I, I'm eager to hear it. So. And it, it is a lot of fun. And if you haven't, if you've never been, you want to come, it's not too late to get tickets. Uh, if you go to weeklystandardsummit.com, or if you just go to weeklystandard.com, there's a banner ad around somewhere, but weeklystandardsummit.com, love to see you there. It is absolutely great. And the the coolest part for me, the first time I was there, is there's a hallway with all the celebrities who have been to the Broadmoor, because it was just like, it's this big time right. resort. And, and it's cool. They got the photos like from the old school, like the right. Frank Sinatra types, and then they have the the contemporary Miley Cyrus types. It's very. Well, very I can't wait cool. to see your your uh, photo up there. Uh, on that, on that wall. yeah, yeah. It's. <laughs> I, I had a photo. I drew it myself in the men's room, and the and security said, uh, they, "Sir, they, you need to take that off yeah. the wall." I'm just there for the comic relief. So that's. <laughs> it. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. I appreciate it on the podcast. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Daily Standard Podcast. You can find all our podcasts at weeklystandard.com or better still, just subscribe to them at iTunes or Google Play by searching Weekly Standard. When you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode of the Daily Standard, including our special features, the Confab every weekend and Crystal Clear every Friday. Plus, you can leave reviews of the podcast and let people know that you found content that you enjoy. Don't enjoy it? Have a question, comment, or complaint? Just email podcasts at weeklystandard.com. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Michael Graham.